Today's message is on God's wisdom on making future plans. I realize that might be a little redundant to say making future plans. Uh, are basically all our plans about the future? And you think so, but then I realized there's a lot of people I think that do maybe spend or waste a lot of time making plans for the past. Uh, spending most of their time, oh, I do, I do this over, I do this over. There's one thing to be said about learning from your mistakes, uh, but realize it's the, the future plans are the only ones that are actually going to make a difference. Unless you get that time machine finished, it's future plans that are the only ones that are really going to matter. So we're looking at this. The whole book of Proverbs really is about wisdom and decision-making. We've seen that. But today we're going to look specifically at a few of the things uh, that it does teach us about uh, plan-making in general and what we need to do. This isn't going to be everything that there is to say about decision-making, but a few key points that I see and I want to draw out from the book of Proverbs, some of the key main things that are there. So we'll deal with this basically in in two parts, and hopefully by the end you'll see that these are uh, two sides uh, that need to be taken together. So think of plans. There's small plans that people make, some that don't, decisions that don't make much difference. There are big plans, big decisions that need to be made that do make a huge difference. And sometimes there's even small plans that we think aren't going to make a big difference, but they do. And we need God's help in all of these. So the first thing that I want to point out that we want to look at, first point is to trust God and be diligent in your plans. With the emphasis right now on trust God. Trust Him. So we think of this, of a subpoint here. Wisely admit your lack of control over the future. And I bring this up because there are quite a few Proverbs that deal with this. One, Proverbs 27, verse 1, which says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring that you may think you have all these plans, everything taken care of, but you ultimately don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. You don't know if tomorrow is going to be a day like any other day or if it's going to be one of those days where everything changes in your life, everything changes in the world. We don't have that type of sovereignty. We don't have that type of foreknowledge about the future. And so you can think that you have all the plans, all your ducks in a row, Uh, but we don't really know what is going to happen. Another great proverb that hits on this as well, Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And so what that proverb is getting across to us is we have all these plans. We have so many. We have things all the time that we're thinking in our head that we want to do, what it's, uh, we're going to do this afternoon. You might be thinking about, hopefully you're not spending your whole time here thinking about just lunch and what you're going to do as soon as I can get out of church. Uh, But there are plans, and we think ahead. And you think of this week, the school year is starting. There's all kinds of things going on, and there's decisions that need to be made. And we sometimes people believe they have their whole life mapped out, not just the next week or year, but uh, people have five-year plans and ten-year plans. But guess what? It is... Uh, the Lord that is going to have the ultimate say-so as far as what happens. And we have our plans, and we're going to say it's good to make plans. We're supposed to make plans. But to remember, it's the purpose of the Lord that is actually going to stand in the end. That his ultimate plan, his decree, his master plan, and it may or it may not line up with what you think is your plan. There's a lot of adjustments that need to take place. But we have this desire to want to map everything out. Um, I listened to a podcast by Albert Mahler called The Briefing. Highly recommend it. Uh, he's the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. A very uh, a, a godly man, a great thinker. Talks about a lot of worldview issues. And, and one of the broadcasts a uh, short time ago, uh, this, earlier this month, uh, he talked about this headline, Gay couple sues fertility clinic over the birth of a baby girl. And then he went into this. There was this uh, gay couple married, at least in the eyes of the, the law, and they wanted to have a child. And the way that biology works is that two men cannot produce a child. 
Uh, it needs to be a man and a woman. That's biology for you. Uh, so they had to seek a fertility clinic. They had to uh, hire an egg donor because uh, you need the, a woman to help you out here. And they had a bunch of uh, you know eggs fertilized and these embryos. The process, I guess, cost them two or three hundred thousand dollars. That's part of why they were so upset about this. And uh, in this process, uh, you have they fertilized a bunch of embryos, so actually creating life. And then they were supposed to pick out one that was going to be a uh, a, a boy because they wanted to have a boy. Ultimately, I guess two boys. And then they were going to hire a surrogate mom to because uh, you need somebody with a womb and it can't be one of those guys, and to put it in, and they were going to have this happen, and then they ended up with a uh, baby girl, and instead of in, you know, rejoicing, and we have this, this baby girl, uh, they're mad, and they're suing the clinic because they wanted a baby boy. And in the articles that he's uh, quoting from, this uh, couple from Pasadena said they had planned things in advance. They had decided they were going to have two boys. They had decided their names, so they had even gotten Gmail addresses for these children. They're planning way ahead. And the men claim that the financial impact on them is going to be, uh, they use the word staggering, because they still want to have two boys, but now they've got to raise this girl in st- also. So now they have to have three kids, and they just were planning on, on two kids. And they said, uh, staggering because, quote, because they ultimately will be raising three children rather than the two sons for which they had planned. And I listened to that. I thought, wow, there's a lot of things we could talk about <laughs> with this. There's so many. I mean, first of all, again, there's the, the whole nature of design and, and biology and just why society recognized for thousands of years pretty much every culture and every society that marriage was a man and a woman because a man, one man and one woman, that's how every baby is produced. Uh, And even if you're using these different means, you still need the contribution of a man and the contribution of a woman uh, to produce children. And that's, that's biology and that's inescapable. And so we could talk about that, but that's not the main thing for this message. Okay, we could talk about the issue of creating embryos, creating, well, embryos translate little tiny babies that you don't uh, plan to actually bring into uh, this world in the normal way that you're going to just, I guess, freeze forever or just destroy and kill. And that would be something to talk about. That's a big deal. That's not the point here for today. We could talk about viewing kids as a product the same as going and buying a dishwasher and picking out the model that you want and how, how messed up that is to think of the, the gift of children in that way. We could talk about that, but that's not the point for today. We could talk about the devaluing of women in this, that they were not thrilled to have a baby girl, beautiful, created in the image of God, a treasure. We could talk about that and just how... Uh, throughout the world, you know, women are being aborted in much higher rates than, than men, and just how messed up this is across the board, but that's not the point for today. We can even talk about how they expected the doctors to be able to determine, uh, even uh, as they are little, you know, embryo babies, uh, which are male and which are female, uh, instead of waiting for the embryos to, you know, over time, decide what they want to be and to tell them. And is a reminder that, you know, gender, being a male or female, being a boy or a girl, is actually something biological. It's part of your body, and even before things, you know, develop, it's in your DNA, and a doctor can tell if you're actually a man or a woman. We could talk about that, but that's actually not part of the, the point here this morning. But the part I do want to talk about is just to realize these people, they had everything that they had mapped out. They wanted this absolute control. And they thought they should be able to. And they're mad at the doctors, mad at this clinic, because they spent all this money to have this designer baby the way that they wanted this baby to be, and they didn't get what they had ordered. And so they're upset, and they're going to sue. They're suing. I don't know if people realize this, but uh, most of the time you... Don't get to pick your, the gender of your baby. 
And we think that we can just on cue, you know, have our lives unfold the way that we want to. And a lot of times, uh, this happens to all of us. We think, we imagine I'm going to have this many kids and, you know, we're going to get married and then at this point we're going to have kids exactly on our schedule. Then you find out, you know what, it doesn't always work like that. That you have your your, your 50-50 chance if you're going to have a boy or a girl, sometimes you're surprised with more than one at the same time. You get those twins that happen and didn't see that coming. Uh, there's other times where you thought you were going to have kids and those kids aren't coming. And sometimes it's years. And sometimes they just don't come and that's not, uh, it ends up not being what is God's plan for you. And I think this issue of children is just one of these examples that makes us realize that, you know, this control that we think we have, that we want to have over life is this illusion and we think, my kid's going to be exactly like this and going to be into this because I, I love this sport and I love this activity. And guess what? Your kid ends up being different than you. And it's okay. But God is sovereign all for all of this. But it helps us to realize that we are not in control of these things. And I think one of the first things in wisdom that we need to realize is how much we are not in control of life. And to break that illusion of that we can just have everything scheduled. But in the world today, you know, we want everything, like there should be an app for all of our life and we can just order it exactly the way that we want it to unfold. But that's not how it is. And the book of Proverbs gives us the wisdom to remind us of this fact. So we don't have control over the future, really over hardly anything. But there is one that does have control, not only over the future, but the present, the past, and everything. So the other part of this is to wisely acknowledge God's sovereignty over everything. That God, the one who created this world out of nothing, the one that, I believe, decreed everything that happens from, the, from before it began, that he has a, a master plan, that he is, when we talk about sovereign, you think of kings are supposedly sovereign over their, na- over their nation. Or we talk about a sovereign nation, they're in control. But they're really not. God is the one that is really actually in control of everything. Not in a way that turns us into puppets or takes away human responsibility. But he is in control. And it's this uh, amazing, mysterious way that is above our pay grade to figure out exactly how this works. But he has a plan and he is sovereign overall. There's lots of places in Scripture where we can see this, but there are some great verses in Proverbs that are designed to help us to realize this. And these are not the type of Proverbs that are telling us, you know, here's what you got to do, here's your decision-making. But it is wisdom for this because even before making these decisions, we have to realize we are not in control, but God is in control. And this is part of the, this is the beginning parts of wisdom to get that straight in our thinking. So one of these great Proverbs, Proverbs 16.9, the heart of a man plans his ways. Okay, we make our plans again, but the Lord establishes his steps. So again, we make our plans. That's good. We're supposed to. But ultimately, it's God that is the one that tells us where we are going to go. And there's things that we may think that we're going to go in a different direction. And uh, God takes us where he is going to have us go. And it's good to do that. You know, before I was a pastor here, uh, there was a time I was finishing up my PhD, and I didn't know if I was going to go into something more academic, uh, maybe be a seminary professor or something like that, or be a pastor. And so uh, I knew God had a plan, and I was applying to various places, and I wouldn't have guessed it that uh, in God's sovereign plan, I would end up being the pastor of the church that I happened to be attending at the time. Uh, but God's providence, how he directs things, is amazing. But during that time, people would ask me, so what do you really want to do? Do you want to pastor a church or do you want to be a professor? And I would tell people, in all honesty, I am trying really hard not to pick. I'm trying really hard not to have my heart set on anyone, be, any one of these. Uh, first of all, because I want to be someone that, no matter what, I want to be helping Uh, the church to make disciples that make disciples. But I said, also, I just know how God tends to be. Then we say, this is my plan and this is what I want to do. That the Lord says, that's really sweet of you that you think that. But here's what I got for you. And it's 
a lot easier to just say, I, I am open to what God has. I'm going to hold this with an open hand and let him direct. And so a lot of times we need to do that. It's good to make plans. It's good to ready ourselves for different things, but to also realize uh, that, that he has his plan and, and he doesn't tell us it ahead of time. It unfolds when it unfolds. And it can be full of a lot of surprises. So we make our plans, but God is the one that establishes our steps. God is in control over not just the big things, but sometimes even the, the, well, sometimes over all of the small things in life too. Even things to us that seem just like random events or random occurrences. Proverbs 16.33, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So casting lots is something that they would do. And basically, to us, it would be the equivalent of rolling dice. And sometimes when they needed to you know, make a decision and there was not like a specific uh, way that it had to be, they would, you know, today we might draw straws or something like that. You wouldn't want to do it on super important things, but sometimes you would, we might do that. But today we think, okay, rolling the dice, that's just random. And it's designed to be random. But this is saying that God is in control even over those random occurrences in life. And think of how many random things happen all the time. Small, insignificant things that end up having this, this huge consequences on our lives. I mean, if a, a, a deer randomly runs across the road when you're driving home, that can change the rest of your whole day. There's certain things, I think of sometimes just... You could have a, a song that comes on the radio, or you could have, if you listen on your, your, your iPod or your phone, uh, I think it's your phone, who has iPods anymore? You have your, your phone, and you have it on, like, random, okay? And sometimes I realize, you know, the song comes on, and I start thinking about something in this direction, where if it did randomly, and we know it's an algorithm, it's not truly random, but, you know, if a different thing came on, you might, you know, have your mind go in a different direction and make a whole different decision, you know, I think of, you know, what college roommate you end up with. You know, ran, all these things that, are for, to us, seem very random. But God is in control over all of these small things that have huge impacts. And it's good that he is. So wisdom is realizing God has this control. Last one here. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. That... The, the heart of the king, and you think, oh, the king, this is the one that he is sovereign. No one tells him what to do, especially a king back in those days. They had unlimited control. But this proverb is saying, no, even the king, God can direct his heart, his thoughts, his action, wherever he wants it to go. Now, that doesn't mean that whatever a king decides to do is right and good and godly, but it means that God can and does direct things and he has some sovereign plan and if the king is making a bad decision he's still going to be held accountable and if it's a good decision that's a good thing but God is sovereign even over the the powerful even over the elite of course that's motivation for us also to be praying for our our kings our rulers because God can change hearts it may seem unbelievable but he can and we should be praying for our rulers whether God uh, does that or not Um, And I think he's always restraining and directing. So we have these things in mind. This is the the first kind of half of this lesson to realize God's ultimate sovereignty. Or we talk about his providence, his his directing of our lives, the course of things, the course of history. And we don't make these plans. He's definitely not a prophet, but it's John Lennon who said, life is what happens to you while you're making other plans. And so as we go on, we think more things about decision-making. I, I think it's freeing to realize how little control we have. We're still called to make decisions, but God doesn't expect you to have every detail and every moment of your life completely mapped out. In fact, I think a lot of times, a lot of life is actually like maybe whitewater rafting. Okay, you have some control, kind of, but you don't have a lot. And sometimes the best you can do in life is make sure you're headed in the right direction and try not to hit the rocks and the river's going to take you where it takes you. 
And sometimes in life, that's what we need to do. Just make sure that you're headed in the right direction, watch out for those rocks, and let God in his providence, in his sovereignty, he will direct you according to his plan. So, that's point one, first half of this message. I think it's important. I think it's freeing. If you trust God, if you don't trust God, this would be terrifying. But I'm going to give you the flip side of this. We had trust God and be diligent in your plans. Point two, this, this, is, going to, this is going to blow your mind. Okay, you ready for this? Trust God and be diligent in your plans. Didn't see that coming, did you? That's the other side. So, what we have here is two sides of a, a paradox. A paradox is something that doesn't seem like, you have two things that don't seem like they should be able to go together, but they actually do. Okay? Uh, you know, in science, they say light is a, a particle and it's a wave, and how does it work out? And, but obviously it does, because light exists. And so we think of God's sovereignty. He is in control. Okay, got that. But we think, uh, but he also, in the Bible, teaches human responsibility. That we do make decisions. The decisions come from us. They come from our hearts. And they actually do have cause and effect in this world. They're, they're real decisions from us. But God's sovereignty doesn't erase the fact that there's human responsibility can't say, well, it doesn't matter what I do. God's in control. And the fact that the Bible also teaches human responsibility doesn't erase God's sovereignty. Well, if I make my decisions, that means God isn't really in control. No, the Bible teaches both of these things together. A way to think about it, picture in your mind like a house that's like an A-frame house. Okay, and it's a huge A-frame house. And you got one side of the roof is going up one way, the other side is going up the other, but you can't see the top because it's in the clouds. And so in a way, it's like this, that one side of the roof is God's sovereignty over all things. The other side is human responsibility. And we can't see because of the clouds exactly how it fits together and exactly how it works together. But we know up there, somehow it, it does. And God knows he has it figured out. And so these are the two sides to this truth that we believe both because the Bible teaches both of these. So we are called to be diligent in our planning, in our decision-making, and in carrying out those decisions as well. So I'm going to give you a few sub-points here. I have six of them drawn from Proverbs. Some we'll talk about a little more than others. And I'm also going to give you a few questions with each of these as we get into it. But the first that I want to point out, and I think this is at the heart of everything, is to be God-centered in your plans, goals, and motives. We want to think about decision-making for your future. This is essential to be god centered, to care about the Lord, to be dedicated to the Lord, to be focused on, on him and his glory, to be focused on really what matters the most in your plans, your goals, where you're ending up, and also looking at your motives. What is going on in your heart? What are you really after? We can have these illusions of what we think we're after, but what are we really after? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We've talked about that. You can trust in the Lord. He's good. He's sovereign. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Just your own, this is what I think is best. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. He will clear the road for you. He will direct you in the way that that you ought to go. But in verse 6, it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. So be mindful of God. Be thinking about him. And most people in life, when they make decisions, they are not thinking about the Lord. They're not thinking about, what does God think about this? You know, the one that created this world, the one that made me, the one I should be living for his glory, God is not even on their radar. And sadly, so often, even for for Christians, for those of us that know God, that should be thinking about this, how easy it is for us to make decisions Decisions in other ways where we're thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about our wants, our desires, our goals for ourselves, the good life, and all these things, and we're not 
contemplating the biggest blip on the radar that should be is the Lord. And what does he think? What does he say? How does this funnel into his glory? How does this result in our good, which is found in his glory and in relationship with him? How does this affect the missions, the calling that God has given us to live life for him, to help other people to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? So we have to think about God, acknowledge him. In the same way, Proverbs 16, 2 and 3, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Okay, so he weighs the spirit and other... Proverbs, it says he weighs, he knows the heart. We can think, well, I have great motives. This is what I want. But God knows really what our heart is after. And then it says, verse 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean pick what you want and your goals, commit it to him, and God will rubber stamp it and give you everything that you want. But at first, if you're committing to the Lord and saying, God, you are the Lord, you are the master, you are sovereign, I want what you want. We start with that, and we say, okay, great. Let's scratch this from your plan. Let's scratch this from your plan, because I have something even better for you. That this is going to be the plan that's going to, this is why I created you. This is why I brought you into this world. So we need to commit ourselves, care about the Lord, put him first. Last week, Hope and I, we took our oldest son to college dropped him off. Um, he is down there. He's in Cedarville, and it's where he went to college, good Christian school down there, down in Ohio. And I have a, the map here so you can see where it is. So the blue dot, that's us up by Grand Rapids. At the bottom, Cedarville, kind of close to uh, Dayton, where that is, about four and a half hour drive. So a little bit, and it's four and a half hours if everything is going perfect, uh, if you don't stop at all. And so we're getting ready to take him down. And so we want to find, how do we drive him there? How long is it going to be? And so we did what, this is what people do today. You know, we don't pull out atlases. Uh, we don't make a little route and, you know, take a little highlighter. We, most of the time, plug in our phone or our GPS on our car. And so I did this on, on my, my phone and put in, uh, you know, Cedarville. And these are great features. You plug in where you want to go and it will tell you the, the most efficient way to get there. It might give you a few options and you can decide. But, you know, when, a lot of times when there's not a straight shot, I'm explaining to you what you already know. Uh, that, <coughs> but this, you'll see, uh, you know, there's different options you could take. Do I take this side road? Do I stay on the highway? When do we do this? And, you know, it's great. You know, Apple Maps early on, a little bit sketchy. I think one time had me on the way to the, you know, Ark Encounter driving in a circle for a while. But it's pretty good now. And then Google Maps, so these things are good. Yeah, and it's great. We use them because more often than not, they're really helpful. And it helps you to find the most efficient way to get where you're going. And they even take into account, what time are you leaving? Are you going to avoid, you know, traffic coming to work, going after work? They even know, you know, if there's an accident, it can reroute you in the most efficient way to get there. So we use these. And so I'm getting ready to leave. And so I punch into my phone, Cedarville. I like, you're ready to go and plug it into the, you know, I'm, we're going to follow this. And so I bring this up and it's like, okay, go to Cedarville here. And uh, I guess head north through Caledonia and uh, keep going. And I realize, wait a second here. Uh, I'm not a like PhD here in uh, geography, but... Uh, if I remember right, Ohio is south of Michigan. And I don't know what kind of traffic they have close to the border, but I still, I still doubt that it means that going up and over the North Pole <laughs> is going to be the most efficient way to be there. And it still said it would be about four and a half hours, which seemed about right. Uh, so I'm glad that I didn't just kind of blindly follow this because I'm going to zoom out and see what's going on here. And, oh, looks like there's a Cedarville, Michigan. And can you imagine if we had just decided, well, this is telling us the, this is the best route to get there. This is the most efficient way, and we know this, so we're going to follow this, 
And next thing you know, we're crossing the bridge and <laughs> headed to the UP in some little tiny town up there of uh, Cedarville, Michigan. Here's my point. Okay, please listen to me because this could be the most important thing in this message. So often when we think about decision-making and when we want advice about decision-making, that what so many people, what they really want is they want to be told, what is the most efficient way for me to get to my goals? What is the quickest way? What is the least effort? And how do I get to the goals that I want to go to? And what ends up happening is we get the most efficient way, maybe, but it doesn't matter at all if you have found the best route, the most efficient, quickest way if you're headed to the wrong location. The first thing you need to do is get the location to get the destination correct, to make sure that you have the right goals in life. And most people, when they think about decision-making, and maybe so many Christians or people that call themselves Christians, what they want is, God, help me to find the most efficient way to my desires, to my definition of the good life. And that is not ultimately what God wants for us. That is not actually what you were designed. That is not what is best for you. We are not created for our definition of the good life. We are created for the glory of God. We are created for him, which also happens to also be the best thing for us because he is the all-satisfying one. He is the highest treasure. And being used by him in the lives of other people and whatever callings he may have for you is the best thing. So we can think of all of these different things about decision-making and what we should do, but the most important thing you need to do is get the destination correct to begin with. Make sure you're heading in the right way. You're not heading completely the wrong direction. If you're headed the wrong direction, you run into a roadblock, realize that actually would be a good thing. It's keeping you from speeding north when you should be speeding south. And sometimes God puts those roadblocks in your life out of mercy to tell you, hey, slow down. Rewrote. You check again. You've entered the wrong destination that you're heading after. So questions to think about with this. Ask yourself, what are my goals? Ask yourself, what is my, what is my ultimate goal? What is it that all of these other sub-goals, what are they really for in life? What is my life really about? And what are my real motives? What am I really after? Is this about the good life? Is this about my pride, my reputation? Or are we centered on the Lord? And of course, the first and most fundamental thing that you have to decide is, have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? Because if that's not true, you are eternally headed in the wrong direction forever. So I pray that you would realize how much God loves you. He loves you enough that Jesus Christ came down from heaven, that he is the God-man that went to the cross to save sinners like me and like you. And that if you turn to him in repentant faith, you can have new life in him. You have salvation in him. And so that's the first thing you need to do is turn around and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then, he's Savior and he is Lord. And that means you follow him. Whatever calling, whatever direction he has for you in your life, you follow him. But that's the first step. You've got to take care of that first. Next, seek guardrails and guidance from God's word. So we need to look at God's word. Yeah, Proverbs are great. Proverbs are part of it, but you got a whole big Bible here from Genesis to Revelation that we need to be learning, understanding the, the laws, the guidance, the principles, the values that God has given us in this book and communicating to us. Proverbs 1.5, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. That as we learn from God's word, it will give us guidance. It will help us to 
Uh, first, we have the best goal, and then also the right way to, to get to these goals and everything along the way in God's plan for us. Another verse. I'm going to bring this one up, and usually I have a, we have an English Standard Version. I'm going to bring this up to King James because I want to point out something. Because uh, maybe you've heard this taken out of context. Proverbs 19.18, where there is no vision, the people perish. That's the first part of this. Now, I've heard this many times. This, there are sometimes uh, you know, pastors that never, ever touch the King James, but they'll use it uh, when they want to, when they have like, we're going to do a you know, new building program or something like that, and they bring out this, and they bring it out in King James because they say, well, you've got to have a vision, You've got to have your plans for your future, and you've got to have, and they use vision here in the sense of, you know, our desires, our plans, you know, the way that a, a corporate CEO would say, i got my vision for the company. Uh, but is this actually what this is saying? I mean, the King James, it's giving a good translation, but we misunderstand it here. Now, Proverbs, oftentimes there's two lines, and sometimes it's basically saying the same thing in two different ways. Or sometimes it's giving an opposite that's kind of a, a, a foil one for the other. But if you look at both lines, usually it can help you out. Uh, in Hebrew, um, well, poetry, they don't rhyme with sound. They rhyme with ideas. Okay, so if you went ahead and you looked at this, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So instead of perishing, you're going to be happy. That's a good thing. Okay. And it says, how is it you keep it the law? And it's talking about God's law, what God has revealed, his standards, his direction, his instruction for us, what he says is right and wrong. So then you realize, oh, okay, when it talks about where there is no vision, this isn't talking about uh, just, we, I have a vision. You know, whether it's a mystical or just, you know, I have my, my, my great goals for the future. Vision here is talking about like the kind of visions that God would give to the prophets and then they would write down in scripture. And that's why the, um, well, the English Standard Version uh, translated in a way to make that a little more obvious. Uh, where there is no prophetic, prophetic vision, the people cast off restraints. In other words, uh, same basic thing. The other said they perish. Cast off restraints basically means they, they go off the rails you go off the rails, you, you, you're going you're to crash. It's going to be disaster. Um, but blessed is he who keeps the law. So questions that I think we need to ask ourselves, what does Scripture say? And it's not always just, well, give me one verse. There's big principles, values in Scripture. But one thing we can ask is, what boundaries does the Bible give me to stay inside God's moral will? And that's why I said seek guardrails. When you're driving down the road, there is some, you're not on just a, a track, okay? It's not like a train. You know, you can veer a little bit. There's some areas of freedom, but a lot of times there's guardrails on either side, and they are there for your good. They keep you from going into the ditch or rolling down the cliff or something like that. And uh, guardrails are good things. And so there are times where there are areas of freedom where God says, you could choose this, you could choose this, you could choose this, and it's okay. They're all part of his moral will. It's different than his sovereign will. God has a sovereign plan that is very specific. But God's moral will is, is um, <clears throat> these are things that God says are okay. But there's things outside of God's moral will that they're on the other side of the guardrails and if you choose that, you are in sin. So first thing we need to realize is when we make decision, okay, what options do I have that are okay, that are within his moral will, that are not sin? And the other options that are, these are bad, these are sinful, well, I, that just shouldn't even be something you consider at all. For example, uh, there may be, from our perspective, uh, if you are an unmarried person, uh, lots of eligible people that you could choose to marry if they're willing to marry you as well. And now I know God in his sovereignty, he has a specific plan, uh, but the first thing you can do is think about what are the guardrails that are here. 
And Scripture tells us, tells you, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're saved, you love Jesus, you are to marry only someone else that is saved and loves Jesus. So if you're thinking about these people that, well, this guy doesn't love Jesus, or this girl doesn't love Jesus, well, they're on the other side of the guardrails. And so you can't even consider them. So the guardrails, first of all, they help us to know what is this kind of area of freedom that you could have. I mean, there are other things that Scripture tells us too. You're not, you can't marry your, your brother or something. And yeah, and if you're a guy, you can't marry a guy. If you're a girl, you can't marry a girl. That's, scripture teaches this. But within that, there is an area of freedom. And within that area of freedom, then we seek God's help to make a wise decision to seek in there with his help and his counsel uh, what is the difference between oftentimes good, better, and best. And this may take scripture, it may take principles, it may take a lot of thinking, thought, prayer, counsel from others. So the next question you can ask is what guidance does God give me to choose what is, what is best? And again, the whole book of Proverbs has been on making wise decisions. I hope you've been reading it this summer, and if you haven't, hope that you start. Next point, take the time that is needed to make the decision. Proverbs 21.5, For the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The points that I'm giving you are not necessarily in chronological order. In many times, this one needs to be right off the bat because what you have to do is you have to kind of assess, do a triage. You have all kinds of decisions. I mean, life is decisions every moment. You know, do you sit here? Do you get up and go to the bathroom? Do you, uh, uh, what do you do later on? There's small decisions, big decisions. What do you have for breakfast this morning? You know, do you brush your teeth for how long? And you can't spend nine hours on each of these decisions. You, know, you can't do, I'm going to do a, a three-year Bible study of what breakfast cereal I'm going to have. You know, seek the word of God. We're going to have prayer meetings to find out if I should have the Captain Crunch or the Lucky Charms. Okay? So some decisions you don't and you shouldn't waste a lot of time on. But there's other decisions that are really important And you have to realize, these are the decisions I need to spend the right amount of time on. But there's some folks that will obsess on, spend all this time on the decision of what what kind of doorknobs do we get, and hardly any time on important things, how do we raise our children? So you have to think through what level of importance does this have, and therefore how much needs to go into this decision. Sometimes, there are deadlines that impact that as well. And so sometimes that means this is, I only have this amount of time, so I better really be thinking about this. But on the flip side, other things, you just got to make a choice and you got to move on because you got other things to do and not just be paralyzed. Next. Well, it's the question you can ask. There's how much time and effort should I devote to making this decision? Next, you need to think through all of the possible consequences. And this has been a big part of what the book of Proverbs has been all about, helping us to realize consequences. Proverbs fourteen sixteen, One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. And then Proverbs twenty six twenty seven, a great proverb here about consequences. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. What are the consequences? And so things that you should think through. What results could happen from this decision? You know, be forecasting in your mind, not just what you think and hope will happen, but there are things that could happen. You know, how could this go sideways? You know, what could be the disasters that happen from this? What could be the unintended consequences? So if we think, this this is what I want to happen, and we miss the things that uh, we don't realize it's an unintended consequence that uh, this actually creates. Um, And those are hard to see because they're unintended, but the more that we can try to think through this, the best. And then is it worth it? And you know, sometimes it's not, 
you know, realize there's a lot of potential for this to go sideways or to be disastrous, and therefore maybe you shouldn't do it. But other times, you realize it is worth it. Maybe the payoff is, is such a good thing that it's worth the risk. But this kind of risk analysis is part of decision-making and part of what we should be doing. And really, that's what, remember, the whole book of Proverbs has really been about this. Uh, been helping us to kind of forecast the future. We've said that the book of Proverbs, these are, most of the Proverbs, they're not ironclad promises, but they are instead uh, wisdom, skill for living, helping us to apply knowledge, to make choices, to find out what usually produces good results in the long term. So, for example, being a hardworking person, being diligent usually produces good things. Being super lazy ends up bad. Learning from this, from our experience in Scripture helping us. Next one, get help from godly counselors. This is a point so important that it deserves its own message. And actually, next Sunday night, Zach Spiller will be preaching on this specifically, God's wisdom on listening to advice. So hope you come back and hear that because this is so important, getting godly counsel. Proverbs 15.22, I, I couldn't just not mention this. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Don't just lean on yourself and what you think. Get help from people. God has designed it that way. But too often we just want to just trust your own heart and don't listen to other people. But God, have people in your life that, can, that have more wisdom, that understand life more, that have been down the road, that understand this book and the principles in it even better than you do, that can help you see your blind spots. So I'll give you just one question here. Ask yourself, what do people with more knowledge and wisdom than me think? So you want godly people, ultimately, so that you're not heading in the wrong direction, getting you know, good, uh, a, a good route for the wrong goal. So godly people, but then people with more knowledge, maybe about scripture, also about life. So much of decision-making is simply just you look at scripture and the wisdom that it has and its goals, you look at yourself and your life and the world, you put these things two together and you make a, a wise choice. And there are people that can help you with both of that, to understand God's principles better and also to understand your world. Say, yeah, you want to go into that you know, career, but you know, really there's not a lot of jobs out there for um, dolphin poetry, okay? So maybe rethink that. You, know, you want to be a you know, professional singer, but I've sat next to you at church and in love. Don't do that. <laughs> Pick something else. So people that, that's why I said not just what do people with more knowledge and wisdom than me say. You want to find out what they actually think. And so, because a lot of times people may think something, but they're not willing to tell it to you. And that may be on them and it may be on you. You may need to draw it out of them. Find out what really do they think that they can help you out? And then finally, last thing, do what you need to do. Comes a point where it's, you're done just making the plans, you've got to actually do it. Can't be just all theoretical, can't just be on paper, but you just need to do it. Proverbs twelve twenty seven: whoever is slothful will not roast his game. But the diligent man will get precious wealth. You're not going to actually eat well if you don't actually go out and, and kill that deer. In Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Now this is a reminder too that, hey, it is in the Lord's hand, the ultimate outcome. He is sovereign. But you can look at both sides of this. Because the other part says also, the horse is made ready for the day of battle. And that's the part that we need to do. God's in control of it. He's in control of what happens to your family, your job, and all these things. But we are also responsible for our choices, for getting things ready, for doing the steps that we need to do. And so figure out what are the things that we need to do. Ask yourself, what is it that I need to do next in this? 
And then, what am I waiting for? Why am I actually just not doing it? If this is the next thing I need to be doing, is there a reason why I'm not just doing this? So plans are just plans until you start doing it, until you start executing it, you start moving forward. There comes a time when you need to do this. And sometimes you may not have everything figured out, but you need to just do something, pick a good choice, and do something. In fact, there's the title of a great book on this, Kevin DeYoung, called Just Do Something. I love the, the subtitle of this book is so great. Or How to Make a Decision Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Lots, Liver Shivers, Writing in the Sky, etc. Sometimes people think, oh, I've got to wait for this sign from the Lord. And they get paralyzed. Usually it's not like that. Usually it's just you have biblical wisdom and make a good decision. And God will help and he'll funnel you to where you need to be. Close with some quotes from this book. DeYoung writes, Obsessing over the future is not how God wants us to live because showing us the future is not God's way. His way is to speak to us in the scriptures and transform us by the renewing of our minds. His way is not a crystal ball. His way is wisdom. We should stop looking to God to reveal the future to us and remove all risk from our lives. We should start looking to God, his character and his promises, and thereby have confidence to take risks for his name's sake. And for some, it means getting off your duff and getting a job. Or overcoming your fear of rejection and pursuing a lovely Christian woman. And for all of us, it means putting aside our insatiable desire to have every aspect of our lives, or even the most important aspects of our lives, nailed down before our eyes before we get there. So in all this, trust God. He is in control And he has a plan for your life. And then do what you need to do to live out the callings that he has given you for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are God that is good, that is loving and wise, and that you are in control of all things. That you have an ultimate plan to bring glory to yourself which is not an awful selfish thing, but it is a good and beautiful thing because you deserve to be glorified. And for you to be glorified in our hearts and in the hearts of others is the ultimate joy, Lord God. So let us be a part of that goal, knowing you, loving you, of being you so that others would know and love and treasure you as well for your glory and for the good of all those who will turn to you, Lord God. Lord, in every decision of our lives, big or small, give us help. Give us wisdom from your word, from others. Be working in our hearts to transform us so that we desire and love and want the right things. And we thank you that through the ups and downs, through the roadblocks and the the rerouted paths of our lives, that you have a plan, that you are in control. We trust you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.